Welcome to the ADV Moto Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Slayball, and in each episode, we choose a theme and talk with writers about that theme. And on this episode, the theme is passion. So to kick off 2021, um, I wanted to dig into like, why, why do we ride? And specifically like passion and ADV and where do those things uh, connect and where do they intersect? So in today's episode, you get to meet two riders, Willem Avenant and David Knight. And both are rally riders. Uh, Willem is a tree doctor that turned by day and rally uh, rider by every other day that he's not being a tree doctor. And David Knight is a Dakar rally racer. And actually you're gonna get to hear from David from the actual Dakar, from the bivouac. Um, our co-managing editors, Kira and Justin, uh, sent in video from Saudi Arabia, from Dakar, just for this episode, um, talking with David about his passion in riding motorcycles. So let's kick it off and let's meet Willem. So I'm here with Willem. Welcome to the podcast, Willem. Thanks so much, man. It's an honor and a privilege to be on with you. It's uh, really nice. Yeah, so Willem's joining us uh, from South Africa, and um, Willem is uh, an arborist by trade, but a motorcycle rider uh, with passion, I guess. So, the, so the, the theme of this episode is passion, and um, Willem w- was introduced to me by uh, Egla, who you remember from a couple e- uh, episodes back, and um, she said, you got to meet this guy. He's an arborist, but he rides, he does rally riding and loves rally riding, and um, so I'm stoked to have you on the podcast. First off, I always ask people, how did you get into riding motorcycles? Like what was your very first experience? My very first experience was probably with a, well, not probably it was with a Honda, uh, 50 CC express. Um, I don't know how common they were in the U S but it was these little yellow mopeds which wasn't a moped because it, it was just a pipe with two wheels a two-stroke engine and a, th- a three-speed automatic gearbox uh-huh. and my dad had one at university and as soon as we got to the age where we could start being mobile we started this thing up and we just abused it <laughs> for years um looking back now at something like maintenance you know we never serviced it, we never changed the oil, we never changed the air filter, we just rode this thing. And um, it just never broke, uh, I mean, for years. And I think having, and so where I live, we I live in a very rural area. Um, I would say that the scenery is very similar to Arizona, so it's, it's scrubland kind of, mm-hmm. but we have freedom. So, so as a kid of, of four, five, six, you know, you can go out and you can just ride and and for us we literally got lost you know we would we would go for days on end just riding or hiking or walking but having that freedom and at first it was a walking and then when we got the bikes we were able to explore you know on the bikes so your reach got much bigger um so then a friend of mine also, his dad got one, so the two of us kind of joined up. And that was kind of my introduction to, to riding. I After that, I started wanting a real bike, you know, something with gears yeah. <laughs> and shocks. But, uh, but that, was the, that was the seed that started it all, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool, like, to dive into, like, everybody kind of has, like, kind of look at it as like an origin story right you know everyone kind of has a 
an origin story of like you know what the maybe the bug that bit them or planted the seed you know to to what came in later later in life yeah yeah so yeah i would say with sorry to interrupt there but i i would say with with that or coupled with that i think especially at a younger age um the the memory of actually watching dakar so for us in south africa we have very little motorsport we don't we we have a we have a motorsport history but it's not as big as it is in the US, you know, and mm-hmm. with with very limit, let's say a limited motorsport calendar, the Dakar was one of those things where you look forward to it the whole year and then you get a small segment on TV every night and I remember because it was at the time of me starting to ride and it would come out late at night and I was allowed to stay up and watch Dakar because it was Dakar like that was the thing so I grew up watching Dakar with my dad and that really I think that was the crossover between or the cross-pollination between bikes and and bike riding and rally riding because it was always like you know that's the type of riding I want to do one day (laughs) it took me a while to get there but that was always the goal you know that was always why I wanted to do it yeah well what does what does rally riding mean to you what would you say um, look for long, I, it was just something I wanted to do. So, you know, as we all carry on in life, our life carries on and you always have this list of things you wanted to do. So mm-hmm. for, I, I, after that 50 CC express, I always had bikes. Bikes has been a part of my life rally as such, maybe not so much. And then I woke up around about Dakar time. So everybody at the first of, or at the beginning of the year is ready to go rallying cause it's Dakar. And um, I just, that year, I just realized that, look, if I want to get to Dakar one day, I need to start because if you're not in an environment, you're never going to get there. You're going to die wanting to go to Dakar. So that year, I just put my foot down. I searched pretty much for a whole year for a rally bike, which, again, being in South Africa is actually quite hard to find because we don't have access to navigational equipment. We don't have access to rallies, actually. Um, so things were very difficult starting up, finding a bike and everything. But when I found the bike, I knew this is the bike. Um, so having the bike was the first step. I was like, okay, now I have a rally bike. Now I have to do a rally. And um, luckily, so for years we had a rally here, which was quite big and quite intense, called the Amageza Rally. And unfortunately, the organizer of the Amageza died um, in a... I think it was a gyrocopter crash and that opened up the South African rally market and uh, Garth Roberts from the Kalahari rally decided he's going to take the plunge, a very, very brave man because in order to hold a rally you have to have a very strong constitution <laughs> um, and he decided he's going to, he's always wanted to do a rally and it coincided so greatly that the Kalahari rally started just after or the year after I bought my rally bike. So I could enter the, the Kalahari rally and, and as to the question, sorry, it's a very long roundabout answer, but what rally means to me is like, you know, up until a point rally meant something I wanted to do. Um, and then it turned into something I have to do. And, and, and I think rally is it's one of the most addictive things that you can do. It's, it's almost like a kind of post-traumatic stress. I think I've started calling it post-rally stress because <laughs> when you're in it, you you hate every second it is pure hell you know your body your mind it is really tough 
um, it is one of the toughest things you'll ever do. And then for the first week, you're you're in a brain fog. The second week, you think you might never ride a bike again. And then it kind of progresses. And then after three months, you're like, huh, I wonder if I'll ever enter a rally again. And then by four months, you've entered the next one. And it's just, you know, it's just a wave from there. Yeah. Um, a great example is I've got a, a friend doing the Dakar now, James Alexander, as, as Malamoto. And for the guys that doesn't know what Malamoto is, Malamoto is basically you have no support. It's yourself, your bike, and that's it. You're not allowed any outside assistance. And it's the classic way of doing the Dakar. It's in the old spirit of the Dakar. And uh, last night, I was, we were all, so we obviously with WhatsApp, we all have groups and we all have tracking, you know. And James was on the bike yesterday 17 hours. And by that time, the trucks and the cars had come past. It had gotten dark. He had problems with his steering. And I, 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 it took him hours to do a very short distance. And, you know, it's the whole of South Africa was on his WhatsApp group, literally just willing him on because he had he'd made the last cutoff, which meant no matter what time he finishes, he's still in the race. Um, and just to go, I mean looking at it knowing what torment that guy's going through you know you're like how can you get up tomorrow morning and do another five six hundred k's but that that's part of it you know it's kind of suffering through it so my my passion for that has come from testing your metal t trying to see if you're good enough trying to see if you can make it because i think in today's world very few of us get a chance to actually do that you know, you almost have to go and seek it. We seek adventure and we seek new experiences. But it's very rare that you actually seek a breaking point where you say, I want to throw my toys out the cot. I want to have a breakdown. And I've now mellowed it down to I allow myself one breakdown per rally. And I reserve that breakdown for you have to use it strategically. <laughs> but after, if you have more than one, then you're just winching. So you, you're allowed one and that's it, somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Everything you're saying is very akin to, you know, some of the other endurance, like um, the people who do like ultra marathons uh, and, you know, kind of things that are beyond just a standard endurance race. You know, I mean, like triathlons are, are hard. And but, you know, I've watched some documentaries about like the people who do, do like ultra marathons or some of the adventure races and different stuff like that. And um, and it's I, there's just there's just something something there's like another level there for the people who participate in that because it's exactly what you said you know like voluntarily submitting yourself to this trauma or, or you know to this experience where you know it's going to break you but you know i think kind of one of the things that i hear coming through in, in your voice and experience and in what you've seen is like beyond that breaking point is where you really find out what you're made of and what kind of person you are and you know what kind of probably what kind of writer you are and and i think like, yeah yeah and that's to me that's one of the nicest things is is you know people can't it's what rally does to for me is it it actually it breaks away or, or takes away the masks you know on the first day mm -hmm. everybody's smiling and friendly but you know somebody that's really a cool guy or a cool girl or somebody that's really friendly somebody that's friendly after five days of extreme hardship that doesn't snap that that's still smiling that's always happy that's always willing to help and and that's why that's there's almost like a rally fraternity or rally brotherhood where 
if you've gone through that experience with somebody, your friends for life. Um, mm. And to, to tie onto that extreme kind of th thing with the triathlons and stuff, I actually, I did a lot of uh, long distance extreme running. And the, the, the difference for me between that of, of running, say, 100 k's or 120 k's, is that when you're running, you can switch off. You basically say to your body, all I have to do is suffer through the pain and push on. But as long as my legs keep moving, I'll get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. What makes rally so much more difficult and so much more unique is that including that, let's say, level of, of punishment, you cannot switch off your brain because then you crash or you get lost. Mm -hmm. So I, you have to, to submit your body to, let's call it, extreme hardship. But then you have to keep your mind fresh all the time because if you don't follow that roadbook, or if you're going too fast or not looking where you're going, you're gonna you either gonna have a crash or get lost, and then you're out of the race. So it's it's physical, or get yeah, or get killed. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's this physical trauma combined with wearing you down mentally because at some point you you just can't think anymore and you start dreaming in tulips you know so for the listeners out there that doesn't know what a, a on a rally your roadbook is divided into two sections on a on a book or on a roll and and those sections are called tulips and each tulip gives you the information about the next step you're going to take um, and you know you start speaking the rally language and a very very special thing is when you kind of get into the mind of the person that's written the road book because after two or three days you feel like you're starting to know the person who worked out the route and you can almost anticipate the movements and then that's when you get into the zone where you can actually start riding and, and enjoying yourself that's amazing yeah i i hadn't heard of that before but i mean it totally makes sense like there's a i'm sure everyone has like a style when they when they write or compose or you know speak or something like that and so you know it's the same thing if you're creating a road book i'm sure that person has a style and that's that's really yeah. that's really interesting it's kind of learning learning to hear that accent you know so to speak in in their in their writing yeah and you can immediately if you get on the bike within the first five k's you can know because a lot of the times it's not the the same guy, so you could you would you would know if you had a roadbook that two stages were were worked out by a guy and then the third stage was done by somebody else. You would immediately know it the next day after ten k's because you'd be like, oh, okay, it just doesn't feel the same. And then then you have to kind of get into the new guy's brain, and you have four, five, six hundred k's to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, so let's talk a little bit about like I guess the so there's there's definitely a, a physical toll, but there's I think you know there's a time and financial commitment too, you know, to what you're doing, um, you know, and I think, you know, talking about passion and you know the things that we we put effort on. I mean, what have been some of like I guess some of the challenges you you said you talked about finding a rally bike. Um, and I guess describe for the listeners, like for those who don't know, the difference between like a rally bike and just a, a regular dual sport that you you buy off the showroom floor. Yeah, cool. So, look, the if you go and buy a rally bike, stock standard, very few manufacturers actually make rally bikes. So KTM makes what they call the RFR, which is the Rally Factory replica. And they make about 70, 75 of them a year. And they would set you back, uh, I'm going to lie, but 
let me just quickly tell you roughly how much just want to do a conversion quickly <laughs> they're gonna set you oh, down about forty thousand dollars if you buy them from the from the factory but you have to you have to actually uh, reserve them the year before so the 2022 bikes or 2021 bikes would already be reserved and paid for so other than ktm making actual factory rally bikes most of the other teams like hrc builds rally bikes so they'll take a base uh crf 450 is very common in in the us or uh, um, a WR and they'll build a rally bike and then there's a lot of manufacturers or people that build rally bikes, Rebel Sports and Aurora but basically what a rally bike comes down to is is your navigation tower in the front which is your heart, your, 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 your um, what you call it, your, your brain stem, it's your central point of mm. everything because the whole point of a rally is to navigate yourself so you're on top in the front you'll have your your road book which gives you your directions and then you'll have two uh, cap repeaters that gives you the cap distance a compass heading your odometer and your speed and and that um, so that let's call it navigation bundle in the front is the main difference between most normal bikes and rally bikes and then you'll the main other thing is fuel range um, because you need a minimum of normally 250 kilometers of fuel range. Mm -hmm. So you'll have bigger tanks and you'll have um, auxiliary tanks. But then that brings the challenge of, of um, upgraded suspension because you can't just ride normal suspension with extra weight. So then you have to upgrade the suspension. So it's a whole roller coaster ride. Um, seat, your seat is very important um, because you need a soft seat for, for those long days. Um, and then you also have some safety equipment, but that depends from rally to rally. Hmm. Um, so th those th the main things is fuel range and navigation equipment, both that weighs you down. Um, in recent years, there has been a huge, let's call it uh, um, revival in what they call the rally light scene, which is a way to bring down your bike just to the minimum and move away from the classic rally bike look. And it's something that's been very difficult for me because I love the classic rally bike look. But rallies internationally, they, the guys are struggling. They want to get the speeds, the average speeds down because the, mm. the average speeds are too high and the high speed crashes, you, you have serious injuries. Um, and in making the stages more technical and more difficult, bigger bikes actually struggle to move around. So, you know, in the 90s, you could go to Dakar on a 990 twin um, or any size twin. And it's come down to single cylinder and then it's come down to 450 eventually. You know? So you're not allowed to competitively race in Dakar with anything bigger than a 450. So they're making the, they're making the, the, the barriers to entry lower because they want to get the speed down, but they're also making it more technical. So the rally light is getting a, a, um, quite a big revival because all you do is you slap a, um, a rally navigation tower on um, and there's, there's a great store in the US called Rally Motor Shop, RMS, 
um, and they sell all the rally bits that you need and they've actually developed a rally light um, setup which is what is not as expensive as buying a rally bike and and it makes it much more affordable because then you just need your bike your navigation equipment and your fuel range and you're ready to go so that's the main difference and, and that is the big barrier to entry is, is to get that bike and, and then to use it mm-hmm. so many guys build it and then that's where they stop. So the next step is to actually go and enter a race. That's that's the next hurdle. Yeah, yeah. And navigation is one of those things. It's a. It's definitely a skill. It's a skill set. I know um, Austin Vince uh, from you know Mondo Enduro. The, I should say the legend Austin, but the legendary Austin Vince. He he uh, leads usually a couple a year of um, of uh, what do you call it? But basically, it's a map kind of the same kind of thing where it's almost like a road book or a map kind of thing yeah yeah and that's and that's kind of cool that you know because it's it's like it combines what you were talking about like the the thrill of the ride and i mean in that case it's not competitive it's just you know it's a group of people it's for fun you know and and um for the challenge you know kind of thing but um but yeah it's definitely a skill set um to, to learn for sure and and kind of it's almost like reading a language i guess is, is what you would yeah it is and, and uh, what i sometimes equated to is 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 that um you know rally riding is almost like um treasure hunting or geocaching for for, for big boys you know because <laughs> On your roadbook and in your rally, you've got waypoints, and mm-hmm. if the, the key is to hit all of those waypoints, and if you don't, you get a time penalty. But the challenge is to hit every single waypoint. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of the times when you watch Dakar on TV or if you watch rallies, you'll see the trucks and the cars driving around in big circles, and you'd be like, "What are they lost or what?" And they all they looking for waypoints. They're looking to to basically clear or hit that waypoint. Mm. Um, so basically, you're racing around the desert, picking up virtual geocaches. That's effectively what you're doing. Yeah. So it's I mean it's if you start seeing it in that mindset, it's it's crazy, and you you know you got it if you you think. You get every waypoint, and then you come in at night, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't get that one." You know, you want to go back and get it. So, um, and the organizers make it tricky to get. You know, they'll put them on top of a hill, or and I know there's famously, I think it was 2017 Dakar, 2018, they put a, a waypoint in the middle of a huge dune bowl, and all of the cars and trucks just went down there to get the waypoint, and then they couldn't get back out. Oh, and wow. it was just. This, churning pot of because the only way they could get out was by they couldn't attack the dunes straight up they had to ride in circles to build up momentum so it was just this giant from the air this giant churning whirlpool of cars trucks and bikes trying to get out of this dune bowl so so the organizers try and make it difficult for you to to go and get those waypoints yeah yeah have there been any like out of, of the rallies you've done because i want to talk about what the rallies you've done and then um what you have coming up because i know um there's some exciting stuff coming up for you but out of the rallies you've done is there like like one maybe one moment that is kind of like a defining moment for you of where i don't know i guess you'd say if you didn't have the passion you just would have like hung up your your boots or whatever and just walked away from it is there any kind of moment like that you can think of I think probably when I did my first race, I, the, the idea was I, I bought the bike and I said, okay, look, if I'm going to, for me, going to Dakar is a lifelong commitment. Um, most people 
can decide, look, I'm going to go to Dakar and they're going to use all of their savings, all of their energy, and they're going to go. And that happens a lot. I looked at it as like, look, I'm a normal guy. I don't have that amount of money. I'm going to have to, this needs to be, lot for a lot of people, Dakar, Dakar is the start of their rally racing career. I want it to be, I wouldn't say my end, but that's my goal that I'm working towards. So for me, I was like, okay, if I'm going to commit the next five years of my life and all the money that I make to a single goal, I need to make sure I want to do it. I can't three years in say, I don't like this anymore. I need to commit. So doing the first rally, um, I was completely green. I had no idea what to do as far as navigation is concerned. You know, it was something crazy about like, I didn't even know that you had to, or how you could use the waypoints to your advantage or how you could see them on your GPS. I knew the basics, but that was it. And, and it's one of the challenges of rally. There's not enough readily available information out there so that you can actually prepare yourself for an event, which was, one of the challenges I had starting out. But anyway, so I was doing this thing and uh, the Kalahari rally is going to go down in, in history as, as you get some iconic rallies and this is going to become an iconic rally simply because of how tough it is. But because it was your first race and your first rally, you couldn't, I couldn't say this is the tough, this is a tough rally because I had nothing to measure it against. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a it was a fight for survival, but I mean I did every day. So you know I I loved listening to people. I love stories and I love getting advice. So one of the best advice I got from somebody was you just you just have to get to the finish line every night. And if that's too much for you, you just have to get to the start line the next morning. Just that's all. You just have to keep on chugging. So I I literally just chugged through that race. And I ended up doing relatively well. I think I came seventh overall, which for me was a big thing. But at the end of it, I was just like, oh, this was not fun. This was hard. I mean, I had thorns. I mean, everything. My bike was destroyed. Rallies are extremely. And this bike was my pride and joy. And I look at it and it's just, it's destroyed. Yeah. My gear, I bought brand new, rookie, rookie mistake. I bought a brand new rally kit, a jacket, pants, it was completely destroyed. I mean, <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay. Um, and then that night, it was actually towards the end of the evening, we chatted and, and there were some guys there that, that has done quite a lot of that cars, especially the car guys. Um, and the Kalahari is unique that, or not unique, but the cars take off before the bikes in the Kalahari rally, mm -hmm. which doesn't op uh, happen very often. But it's just because we're a small enough number. If you've got 100 cars, it's a different story. If you've got 10 cars, it's actually easier because you don't have the cars chasing you. Mm -hmm. And on the last day, my, my speed got to the point that I actually caught some of the cars, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, and the cars were lost, and I knew I was going right. So the car stopped by me. He's like, where are you now? And I was like, I'm on Tulip so-and-so. And they just, like, the cars don't care about bushes or anything or trees. They just go. They just go in a straight line. Zip. So this car just, I put them on their course and they just went. And I never saw them again. But I felt like, oh, wow, I caught them. You know? And that night, I went to sit and chat with the guys. Um, and they had both done three or four Dakars. And they were just like, look this is way tougher than Dakar. 
and I was like, okay, I did, this is this this was this was worth it. If I can do this, I can do Dakar. And I think to me that was one of those defining moments that okay, if I can get through this, then I I can I can it's a goal I can work towards and it can be something that I want to do. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of that carried on. It's like okay, I'm going to take a break. You have to. I mean, my my ass was literally destroyed. I mean, it was it was broken. I couldn't sit on it um, for weeks. Hmm. But again, it's a learning curve, you know. Now mm -hmm. I know to take something with me for the for the liaisons. I know to use the right cream. I know to stand and not to sit. So you learn all of those things the hard way. But that's part hmm. of the journey. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you mentioned the the Dakar and kind of being your goal. Um, how close are you to to that goal now? Riding, getting to ride it yourself. Um, the honest answer is I have no idea. <laughs> I I looked at it and I I like to look at things analytically, and I see so many people attempt to get to Dakar and just never go. And you can speak to anybody. The hardest part of getting to Dakar is getting there the rally mm. is it's uh, is, is the reward mm. um and in my estimation in the group of people that i move which is south african people it takes you i feel on average five years to get there that that is my assessment i don't know how factual that is but that's how i see it and then i looked at what it costs and and to be honest you could probably retire on what it costs you if you all in you know you can't just look at the the entry fee it's it's the qualifying races it's the traveling it's the bike mm. it's the practice you know the training for at least a year before the time all of that and that's not to finish on the podium that's just to finish you know, it's mm. just to get through the Dakar mm. so I looked at it and I was like okay if somebody were to give me this lump sum of money today would I go and do Dakar and what I realized is that what I'm in love with is, is rally and also the people, the, the camaraderie and the, 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 the in Afrikaans we have a, a saying called fastbait, which is uh, bite fast, like grit, hold on, you know, you just, you just keep it, you lock your jaws and you don't let go kind mm. of thing. It's, it's called fastbait. And, and that concept is so enthralling to me that it's like, would I take that money and do it once and then it's done? I mean, if I've done Dakar, I've, I've done it. Or would I take that money and say, okay, I can do five, six, seven, ten other rallies around the world mm -hmm. for that money mm -hmm. over a period of five years, gain experience and actually become part of, of the rally fiber versus just doing a race. Mm -hmm. So while Dakar is definitely my Everest, it's, it's where I want to end up. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll definitely not oppose to going if I get get the means to go. Um, my immediate goal is to experience as much as I can, so that when the opportunity arises to go to Dakar, I'm actually so well prepared and so experienced that it's not so intimidating. Um, yeah. Because the sheer scale of Dakar is so intimidating. I mean, it's an entire city that moves hmm. every day and nobody cares it's not an event where you get to and people hold your hand you know if you're not at your start time that there's nobody it's just it's a it's a very very crazy event so yeah. you want to go there 
with the confidence that you can can do it. So I might be a year off, I might be five years off, but it's it's there. It's in my stars. Um, I also feel that in the Dakar spirit, um, I'm not a big fan of a one-country race because of the cost. You know, if I want to go and do a one-country race for the cost of the entry of Dakar, I, I don't think think it's worth it. But also, I very strongly feel that it's not in line with the let's call it the ethos of Dakar, you know, the, the spirit of rally and the spirit of adventure. For me, the Dakar needs to traverse countries. Mm. I want to I go over borders. So mm. when that, there is very serious talk that Oman and Jordan will, will join the, the, the Dakar route, which I'm really hoping for because all of a sudden it will make it much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely before Dakar, they, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Africa Eco Race. Um, it is a race that's still held every year um, on the 1st of January um, on the old Dakar route. Uh, the only difference is it now starts in Monte Carlo and not in Paris. Um, and it's run by a Frenchman called Jean-Louis Schlescher. And the Africa Eco Race is huge. I mean, it's a, it's a massive rally and it's the Dakar of old. Um, they're just not allowed to call it Dakar, so it's it's mm. the Africa Eco Race, and they go from Europe through Morocco, through Mauritania, and they finish at uh, Plage Blanche in in Dakar. So it's the old Dakar, um, mm. and um, I would I would definitely go and do that sooner rather than later. But because Dakar is Dakar, and the biggest, toughest off-road race in the world. You have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you have to get there. So yeah. whether it's in Saudi or South America, you, you have to get, end up getting there. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Willem, for taking the time to chat. Um, if people want to follow along with you, do you have anywhere online where people can you know see pictures yeah. or whatever, keep up with you? Definitely. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it. Any support, any follows really helps. Every little bit helps, and I really love to to share my passion and to show people definitely behind the scenes what's going on. So definitely from the privateer perspective. Um, so in in that regards, um, I've got I'm on Instagram as Willem Avenant. Um, I'm sure we can put the links in the in the yep. bar, in the, the description. Yep. Uh, Facebook sure. also Willem Avenant, and then I've got a website Willem Avenant Racing. So yeah. Awesome. And then, yeah, for all of you guys in the U.S., I don't know how closely you're following the Dakar, but uh, a friend of mine, Skylar House, which I met at uh, Sonora, is doing very, very well. So if you guys can give him a cheer on, um, he's he's got a very good chance on the podium if he keeps on doing what he's doing. So if he gets on a podium, it'll be great for America because then you'll have two podiums in two years on Dakar, and that's I don't think that's happened. So that's, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So very cool. Well, thank you, Willem, and uh, yeah, I hope we thank get to to ride uh, together someday, hopefully in a rally. You, you you got me stoked about like checking out a rally now. It's like I'm gonna start yeah, looking at rally bikes and or, 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 some, or learning how to read. I need to learn how to read the road uh, the road map. Uh, yeah. The road book first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we so we definitely our big goal at the moment is that we're heading to Morocco in April. So the Morocco Desert Challenge is up is our big one, and that's actually currently the second biggest rally in the world. It's it's only it's a tiny bit smaller than Dakar, but the size of the rally is the, is the same as, as big as Dakar. So that's pretty cool. 
Um, we're very excited, COVID willing, that we can get there because uh, we've yeah. had three rallies cancelled in the last year, which was sad. Yeah. So I actually haven't done a rally in a year. Um, and then um, if you're down there, I mean, Sonora, even if you go down to Sonora just to check it out, um, the people are friendly. The food is the best food you will ever get on a rally is at the Sonora Rally. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for the experience of, of going to check it out and then the next year doing it, um, you'd, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. But I'm, I'm sure we'll still meet in the, in the future and we can go on a bit of a roadbook ride. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. Thanks, Willem. See you down the road. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that you got to meet Willem and see uh, Dakar Rider in the making. It's one of his dreams. It's on his bucket list. If you want to follow Willem, go to Willem Evident Racing on Instagram, um, and you'll see a lot of his pictures. I'm, I actually have it up right now. I'm looking at it, and um, he has he calls it his Road to Dakar, and um, has a lot of pictures from the Moroccan Desert Challenge, which is pretty amazing. So um, yeah, really good stuff. So now let's go to Saudi Arabia. So um, specifically the, the Dakar. So that if you're not familiar with the Dakar Rally. Um, it's a 14-day rally race in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia. It used to be in Africa, and then it was in South America for a while, and now it's in Saudi Arabia. And so our co-managing editors, Justin and Kira, sat down um, with David Knight, who's a five-time world enduro champion, uh, who's currently racing the Dakar for his first time. And this has been a bucket list item for him as well. And so they sit down with him uh, at the bivouac in the middle of the desert. So you're going to hear lots of noises. I think there's like a, it looked like some kind of water, like maybe a, maybe a poop pump truck look like a septic truck kind of interrupts in the middle there Uh, but it's a bivouac so people are working on bikes um, you know working on cars working it's you know it's the end of the day and so people are gearing up for the next day Uh, so it's going to be a little noisy so I apologize for that but just know it's because they're in the middle of a uh, uh, the Dakar rally bivouac which is pretty amazing Um, but even more amazing I'm excited for you to get to meet David Knight Hi, I'm David Knight and I'm a five-time World Enduro Champion and four-time AMA National Champion. As a kid, that's all I know is motorbikes from, um, you know, I was, as, as long as I can remember, I was absolute, well, motorsport freak in general, not, you know, my dad rode trials. Um, I come from the Isle of Man, which is obviously um, uh, massive on, on the TT, on, mo- on motorcycling. So I just, yeah, from as long as I can remember, I just remember the TT. My birthday's in TT week, like I think Mike Halewood won the 78 TT on the Ducati. Um, it was either the day before I was born or the day I was born. It was within a couple of days anyway. Um, and my dad, his, he actually bought a, a Mike Halewood replica Ducati. Um, that's the only thing that he ever sort of wanted. That was his pride and joy, and he got one. And um, and yeah, my dad he passed away in 2005. So that bike's fully restored now. We use it, and it's like you know, it's mine and my brother's pride and joy now. So yeah, so that's like so I was born 78 TT week, um, and then my dad Charles Ryder, my brother got into trials he's he's about four years older than me um, and then basically just 
grew up to the, the schoolboy trials ranks. Um, you know, I was obsessed with it from an early age. Like, um, I had a really strong will to win. And everything, you know, on bicycles, running races, you name it. I think that came from my mum. My dad was a complete opposite. He was like, um, he was not uncompetitive, but he wasn't. He wasn't bothered as long as he was having fun with his mates riding. Um, and he was like that. My brother was exactly the same. Probably the most one of the most naturally talented riders I've ever came across. But just happy mechanic, and you know, he, he's got his own shop, fixes bikes, restores old old bikes. Um, his passion you know but mine was mine was racing and winning uh, it is so yeah just grew up to the schoolboy trials um, and then I always thought I was gonna end up as a TT rider because the old man just um, you know when we were growing up me and all my friends would be on BMX's pretending we were TT riders and racing around the housing estates and um, you know, we'd have flipping road race helmets on with visors. Um, just, just, yeah, just such a good childhood growing up with, you know, um, just dreaming of, of being a world champion. And, uh, and I remember school teachers saying to me, like, you know, you need to think about what you're going to do properly because this is like a fantasy. And um, yeah, and I, I just. I don't know, I've always just believed that um, if I wanted to do something, I could do it. Um, so, yeah, Charles career went, went good, you know. Um, I won British Championship Trials in 96, but wanted to make World Championship, but it was like a big jump. And I was like, my brother had started racing enduro. And it looked, to me, it looked a lot more fun. You know, I always had that uh, speed that I wanted to, even in trials, used to race around on a trials bike, pretending I was doing enduros, and um, so I, I had an old bike, like an L, actually, I swapped it for a bicycle, an XL185 Honda, and I used to do like local motocross and trials on this, because all my money went into the trials riding, um, so I had this old XL, and I was like, do motocross on it, snapped the frame in half and welded it up and then I got like an old CR250 which was a lot obviously a lot faster and a lot better but it was still old um, and then like 1997 I was sort of just getting a little bit fed up with the trials it was a sort of to go professional would have been a big commitment and in all honesty, I don't know if I would have been able to make it. Um, so I thought, right, I'm gonna do enduros properly. So I ended up, I, I got a um, to enduros on a Yamaha. Um, and then almost won the British Enduro Championship my first season. Um, I didn't finish one of the races, just like, uh, actually it was a flash flood and a load of bikes got swept down the river and one of the guys bike they found it like 10k down the river the next day or two three days later my bike got a load of water in um, so anyway I ended up second that year 
I did a couple of Junior World Enduro Championship races and won. Um, so that was the start of the Enduro thing. I was like, straight away, <laughs> straight away I was um, going to wait a little bit. over time like I still love my enduros I love me the hard enduros and I'll I'm gonna definitely look at doing some more of them um, this year but the rally thing you know I got KTM offered me a ride um, a couple of times in I think like oh eight ten something like that um, but I was happy with what I was doing I was busy with the enduro stuff so but it's always been in my head, you know, the Dakar, since I was a kid, I've been, I've been dreaming of, you know, when you see the deserts and stuff, and you're like, wow, Dad, I'd love to go and ride there, and, you know, and, and that's how I am with every, any event that I see, I'm like, I just want to ride a bike there, you know, you see these, you go back to basics, you're like, a kid, oh, whoa, I want to ride my bike there, I want to ride my bike there, and, um, and that's how it is still with me, you know, I just absolutely love riding motorbikes and um, the adventure aspect of this really appealed to me, um, you know, forget I've won five world titles and I've won GNCC and, and all this stuff, I just wanted to come for me to come and race the Dakar rally, me and the bike and the, and the terrain, back to basics. Um, and, you know, I've just, I just love it. I just. You know, I've, I've come into it, I'm trying to rein myself back every day because I just want to get to the finish line, you know, it's uh, it's 13 long stages, it's it's blooming tough, mentally it's really tough, um, but I'm just trying to really enjoy each day as it happens and yeah, you get frustrated when you get lost and you're riding around in circles and you know, but everyone's just so friendly, It's everyone's like riding together you're like a bunch of mates and it's, it's beautiful so um, yeah so far I've been absolutely loving it a new season so that wraps up this episode, episode seven of the ADV Moto podcast. If you want to see more of David's stuff and updates, so this, as this uh, episode goes live, it'll probably be right at the end of the Takara Rally. Uh, so that'll probably be uh, over by uh, when this episode goes live. But if you want to check out um, just kind of post race analysis or even see pictures from uh, the, the whole rally, um, just go to his website, it's nighter.com. So like the medieval night, K N I G H T E R.com. Um, and also the Descartes Rally did a really cool rider profile on David on uh, on their YouTube channel. So I'll post that uh, link in the show notes. And there's always show notes. So if you go to um, YouTube.com, if you're listening to the audio version of this, uh, there's a video version of this. And if you go to YouTube, the show notes are there. Uh, and they're also in the podcast uh, version too, um, if you have uh, access to that uh, via where you, wherever you download it. So. That wraps up this episode. It's going to be a great 2021. I'm excited. I got some really cool guests uh, and stuff lined up for this year, um, which I'm really excited to share with you. So it's going to be a great 2021. Uh, if you ever want to reach out to the podcast, um, you know, send a picture of where you're listening to the podcast or watching from. 
uh, or even where you're riding, um, you can always reach out to us at podcast at adventuremotorcycle.com. And over on adventuremotorcycle.com, you'll see uh, the print magazine, and you can also uh, subscribe to a digital version of that as well. And there's a lot of good articles and updates over there. So thank you again for tuning in. And yeah, I'm excited for 2021. See you down the road. I feel alive.